Introduction to Mind Amongst the Spindles. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Marianne Spiegel. Mind Amongst the Spindles. A miscellany, wholly composed by the factory girls, selected from the Lowell offering. Edited by Charles Knight. Introduction by the English Editor. In the American state of Massachusetts, one of the New England states, which was colonized by the stern Puritans who were driven from our country by civil and religious persecution, has sprung up within the last thirty years the largest manufacturing town of the vast republic. Lowell is situated not a great distance from Boston, at the confluence of the rivers Merrimack and Concord. The falls of these rivers here afford a natural moving power for machinery and at the latter end of the year 1813 a small cotton manufacture was here set up, where the sound of labor has not been heard before. The original adventure was not a prosperous one, but in 1826 the works were bought by a company or corporation, and from that time Lowell has gone on so rapidly increasing that it is now held to be the greatest manufacturing city in America. According to Mr. Buckingham, there are now ten companies occupying or working thirty mills, and giving employment to more than 10,000 operatives, of whom 7,000 are females. The situation of the female population is, for the most part, a peculiar one. Unlike the greater number of the young women in our English factories, they are not brought up to the labor of the mills, amongst parents who are also workers in factories. They come from a distance. Many of them remain only a limited time, and they live in boarding-houses expressly provided for their accommodation. Miss Martineau, in her Society in America, explains the cause not only of the large population of females in the Lowell Mills, but also of their coming from distant parts in search of employment. Manufactures can to a considerable degree be carried on by the labor of women, and there is a great number of unemployed women in New England, from the circumstance that the young men of the region wander away in search of a settlement on the land, and after being settled find wives in the south and west. Again, she says, Many of the girls are in the factories because they have too much pride for domestic service. In October, 1840, appeared the first number of a periodical work entitled The Lowell Offering. The publication arose out of the meetings of an association of young women called the Mutual Improvement Society. It has continued at intervals of a month or six weeks, and the first volume was completed in December, 1841. A second volume was concluded in 1842. The work was under the direction of an editor, who gives his name at the end of the second volume, Abel C. Thomas. The duties which this gentleman performed are thus stated by him in the preface to the first volume. The two most important questions which may be suggested shall receive due attention. First, are all the articles, in good faith and exclusively the productions of females employed in the mills? We reply, unhesitatingly and without reserve, that they are, the verses set to music excepted. We speak from personal acquaintance with all the writers excepting four, and in relation to the latter, whose articles do not occupy eight pages in the aggregate, we had satisfactory proof that they were employed in the mills. Second, have not the articles been materially amended by the exercise of the editorial prerogative? We answer, they have not. We have taken less liberty with the articles than editors usually take with the production of other than the most experienced writers. 
our corrections and additions have been so slight as to be unworthy of special note. Of the merits of the compositions contained in these volumes, their editor speaks with a modest confidence, in which he is fully borne out by the opinions of others. Quote, in estimating the talent of the writers for the offering, the fact should be remembered that they are actively employed in the mills for more than twelve hours out of every twenty-four. The evening, after eight o'clock, affords their only opportunity for composition, and whoever will consider the sympathy between mind and body must be sensible that a day of constant manual employment, even though the labor be not excessive, must in some measure unfit the individual for the full development of mental power. Yet the articles in this volume ask no unusual indulgence from the critics, for, in the language of the North American Quarterly Review, many of the articles are such as satisfy the reader at once, that if he has only taken up the offering as a phenomenon, and not as what may bear criticism and reward perusal, he has but to own his error and dismiss his condescension as soon as may be. End quote. The two volumes thus completed in 1842 were lent to us by a lady whose well-earned literary reputation gives us the assurance that she would not bestow her praise upon a work whose merit merely constituted in remarkable circumstance that it was written by young women, not highly educated, during the short leisure afforded by their daily laborious employments. She told us that we should find in these volumes some things which might be read with pleasure and improvement, and yet we must honestly confess that we looked at the perusal of these closely printed eight hundred pages as something of a task. We felt that all literary productions, and indeed all works of art, should, in a great degree, be judged without reference to the condition of the producer. When we take up the poems of Burns, we never think that he was a plowman and an exciseman, but we have a painful remembrance of having read a large quarto volume of verses by Anne Yearsley, who was patronized in her day by Horace Walpole and Hannah Moore, and to have felt only the conviction that the milkwoman of Bristol, for such was their authoress, had better have limited her learning to the score and the tally. But it was a duty to read the Lowell offering. The day that saw us begin the first paper as witness to our continued reading till night found us busy at the last page, not for a duty, but a real pleasure. The qualities which most struck us in these volumes were chiefly these. First, there is an entire absence of all pretension in the writers to be what they are not. They are factory girls. They always call themselves girls. They have no desire to be fine ladies, nor do they call themselves ladies, as the common fashion is of most American females. They have no affectations of gentility, and by a natural consequence they are essentially free from all vulgarity. They describe the scenes amongst which they live, their labors and their pleasures, the little follies of some of their number, the pure tastes and unexpensive enjoyments of others. They feel, and constantly proclaim without any effort, that they think it an honor to labor with their hands. They recognize the real dignity of all useful employments. They know that there is no occupation really unworthy of men or women, but the selfish pursuits of what is called pleasure, without the desire to promote the good of others by physical, intellectual, or moral exertions. Secondly, Many of these papers clearly show under what influences these young women have been brought up. An earnest feeling of piety pervades their recollections of the past and their hopes for the future. The thoughts of home, too, lie deep in their hearts. They are constantly describing the secluded farmhouse where they were reared, the mother's love, the father's labors. Sometimes a reverse of fortune falling upon a family has dispersed its once happy members. Sometimes we see visions of past household joy through the orphan's tears, not unfrequently the ardent girl, happy in the confirmed affection of some equal in rank, 
looks exultingly towards the day when she may carry back from the savings bank at Lowell a little dower to furnish out their little farm on the hillside, where the barberries grew so deliciously red and sour in her remembrance of childhood. Thirdly, there is a genuine patriotism in the tone of many of these productions, which is worthy the descendants of the stern freemen who, in the New England solitudes, looked fearfully back upon their fatherland. The institutions under which these young women live are different from our own, but there is scarcely a particle of what we have been too apt to call Republican arrogance. The War of Independence is spoken of, as it ought to be by every American, with feelings of honest exultation. But that higher sentiments than those of military triumph mingle with the memory of that war, and render patriotism something far nobler than mere national pride, may be seen in the little poem, which we gladly reprint, The Tomb of Washington. The paper called The Lock of Grey Hair is marked by an honest nationality which we would be ashamed not to reverence. Fourthly, like all writers of good taste, who have not been perverted into mere imitators of other writers, they perceive that there is a great source of interest in describing, simply and correctly, what they have witnessed with their own eyes. Thus, some of the home pictures of these volumes are exceedingly agreeable, presenting to us manners and habits wholly different from our own, and scenes which have all the freshness of truth in their delineations. The old stories, too, which they sometimes tell of past life in America, are equally interesting, and they show us how deeply in all minds is implanted the love of old things, which are tenderly looked back upon, even though they may have been swept away by what is real improvement. Lastly, although there are necessarily in these volumes, as in every miscellany, some things which are tedious, and some puerile, mock sentimentalities and labored efforts at fine writing, we think it would be difficult upon the whole for a large body of contributors, writing under great indulgence, to produce so much matter with so little bad taste. Of pedantry there is literally none. The writers are familiar with good models of composition. They know something of ancient and modern history. The literature of England has reached them, and given a character and direction to their thoughts. But there is never any attempt to parade what they know, and we see they have been readers, only as we discover the same things in the best educated persons, not in a display of their reading, but in a general tone which shows that cultivation has made them wiser and better. Such were the opinions we had formed of the Lowell Offering, before we were acquainted with the judgment pronounced upon the same book by a writer whose original and brilliant genius is always under the direction of kindly feeling towards his fellow-creatures, and especially towards the poor and lowly of his human brethren. Mr. Dickens, in his American Notes, thus mentions the Lowell Offering, of which he says, I brought away from Lowell four hundred good solid pages which I have read from beginning to end. Of the merits of the Lowell Offering as a literary production, I will only observe, putting entirely out of sight the fact of the articles having been written by these girls after the arduous labors of the day, that it will compare advantageously with a great many English annuals. It is pleasant to find that many of its tales are of the mills and of those who work in them, that they inculcate habits of self-denial and contentment, and teach good doctrines of enlarged benevolence. A strong feeling for the beauties of nature, as displayed in the solitudes the writers have left at home, breathes through its pages like wholesome village air. And though a circulating library is a favorable school for the study of such topics, it has very scant allusion to fine clothes, fine marriages, fine houses, or fine life. Some persons might object to papers being signed occasionally with rather fine names, but this is an American fashion. 
one of the provinces of the state legislature of massachusetts is to alter ugly names into pretty ones as the children improve upon the tastes of their parents if the separate articles in the lowell offering bear signatures which represent distinct writers we have in our selection of thirty-seven articles given the productions of twenty-nine individual contributors it is this circumstance which leads us to believe that many of the papers are faithful representations of individual feelings tabitha from whose pen we have given four papers is a simple unpretending narrator of old american scenes and customs ella from whom we select three papers is one of the imaginative spirits who dwell on high thoughts of the past and reveries of the future one who has been an earnest thinker as well as a reader jemima prettily describes two little home scenes susanna who to our minds exhibits natural powers and feelings that by cultivation might enable her to become as interesting an historian of the old times of america in the days before the revolution as an irving or a cooper furnishes us with two papers the rest are lizettas almiras ethelindas annettes and teresas with others who are contented with simple initials they have all afforded us much pleasure we have read what they have written with a deep interest may the love of letters which they enjoy and the power of composition which they have attained shed their charms over their domestic life when their days of mill service are ended may their epistles to their friends be as full of truthfulness and good feelings as their contributions to the lowell offering may the success of this their remarkable attempt at literary composition not lead them to dream too much of the proud distinctions of authorship uncertain prizes won if won at all by many a weary struggle and many a bitter disappointment the efforts which they have made to acquire the practice of writing have had their own reward they have united themselves as familiar friends with high and gentle minds who have spoken to them in books with love and encouragement in dwelling upon the thoughts of others in fixing their own thoughts upon some definite object they have lifted themselves up into a higher region than is attained by those whatever be their rank whose minds are not filled with images of what is natural and beautiful and true they have raised themselves out of the sphere of the partial and the temporary into the broad expanse of the universal and the eternal during their twelve hours of daily labor when there were easy but automatic services to perform waiting upon a machine with that slight degree of skill which no machine can ever attain for the repair of the accidents of its unvarying progress they may without a neglect of their duty have been elevating their minds in the scale of being by cheerful lookings out upon nature by pleasant recollections of books by imaginary converse with the just and wise who have lived before them by consoling reflections upon the infinite goodness of wisdom which regulates this world so unintelligible without such a dependence these habits have given them cheerfulness and freedom amidst their uninterrupted toils we see no repinings against their twelve hours labor for it has had its solace even during the low wages of eighteen forty two which they mention with sorrow but without complaint the same cultivation goes on the lowell offering is still produced to us of england these things ought to be encouraging to the immense body of our factory operatives the example of what the girls of lowell have done should be especially valuable it should teach them that their strength as well as their happiness lies in the cultivation of their minds to the employers of the operatives and to all of wealth and influence amongst us this example ought to manifest that a strict and diligent performance of daily duties in work prolonged as much as in our own factories is no impediment to the exercise of those faculties and the gratification of those tastes which whatever the world may have thought can no longer be held to be limited by station there is a great contest going on among us as it is going on all over the world 
between the hard imperious laws which regulate the production of wealth and the aspirations of benevolence for the increase of human happiness we do not deplore the contest for out of it must come a gradual subjection of the iron necessity to the holy influences of love and charity such a period cannot indeed be rashly anticipated by legislation against principles which are secondary laws of nature but one thing nevertheless is certain that such an improvement of the operative classes as all good men and we sincerely believe amongst them the great body of manufacturing capitalists ardently pray for and desire to labor in their several spheres to attain will be brought about in parallel progression with the elevation of the operatives themselves in mental cultivation and consequently in moral excellence we believe that this great good may be somewhat advanced by a knowledge diffused in every building throughout the land where there is a mule or a loom of what the factory girls of lowell have done to exhibit the cheering influences of mind amongst the spindles we had written thus far when we received the following most interesting and valuable letter from miss martineau we have the greatest pleasure in printing this admirable account of the factory girls at lowell from the pen of one who has labored more diligently and successfully than any other writer of our day to elevate the condition of the operative classes to miss martineau we are deeply indebted for the ardent zeal with which she has recommended the compilation and for the sound judgment with which she has assisted us in arranging the details of a plan which mainly owes its origin to her unwearied solicitude for the good of her fellow-creatures letter from miss martineau to the editor tinamonth may twentieth eighteen forty four my dear friend your interest in this lowell book can scarcely equal mine for i have seen the factory girls at their lyceum and have gone over the cotton mills at waltham and made myself familiar on the spot with factory life in new england so that in reading the offering i saw again in my memory the street of houses built by the earnings of the girls the church which is their property and the girls themselves trooping to the mill with their healthy countenances and their neat dresses and quiet manners resembling those of the tradesman class of our country my visit to lowell was merely for one day in company with mr emerson's party he the pride and boast of new england as an author and philosopher being engaged by the lowell factory people to lecture to them in a winter course of historical biography of course the lectures were delivered in the evening after the mills were closed the girls were then working seventy hours a week yet as i looked at the large audience and I attended more to them than to the lecture. I saw no sign of weariness among any of them. There they sat, row behind row, in their own lyceum, a large hall wainscoted with mahogany and platform carpeted, well lighted, provided with a handsome table, desk, and seat, and adorned with portraits of a few worthies. And as they thus sat listening to their lecturer, all wakeful and interested, all well-dressed and ladylike, I could not but feel my heart swell at the thought of what such a sight would be with us the difference is not in rank for these young people were all daughters of parents who earned their bread with their own hands it is not in the amount of wages however usual that supposition is for they were then earning from one to three dollars a week besides their food the children one dollar the second-rate workers two dollars and the best three the cost of their dress and necessary comforts being much above what the same class expend in this country it is not the amount of toil for as i have said they worked seventy clear hours per week the difference was in their superior culture their minds are kept fresh and strong and free by knowledge and power of thought and this is the reason why they are not worn and depressed under their labors they begin with a poorer chance for health than our people for the health of the new england women generally is not good 
owing to circumstances of climate and other influences. But among the 3,800 women and girls in the Lowell Mills when I was there, the average health was not lower than elsewhere, and the disease which was most mischievous was the same that proves most fatal over the whole country, consumption, while there were no complaints peculiar to mill life. At Waltham, where I saw the mills and conversed with the people, I had an opportunity of observing the invigorating effects of mind in a life of labor. Twice the wages and half the toil would not have made the girls I saw happy and healthy without the cultivation of mind which afforded them perpetual support, entertainment, and motive for activity. They were not highly educated, but they had pleasure in books and lectures, in correspondence with home, and had their minds so open to fresh ideas as to be drawn off from thoughts of themselves and their own concerns. When at work they were amused with thinking over the last book they had read, or with planning the account they should write home of the last Sunday's sermon, or with singing over to themselves the song they meant to practice in the evening, and when evening came, nothing was heard of tired limbs and eagerness for bed, but, if it was summer, they sallied out, the moment tea was over, for a walk, and if it was winter, to the lecture-room or the ball-room for a dance, or they got an hour's practice at the piano, or wrote home, or shut themselves up with a new book. It was during the hours of work in the mill that the papers in the offering were meditated, and it was after work in the evenings that they were penned. There is, however, in the case of these girls, a stronger support, a more elastic spring of vigor and cheerfulness than even an active and cultivated understanding. The institution of factory labor has brought ease of heart to many, and to many occasion for noble and generous deeds. The ease of heart is given to those who were before suffering in silent poverty, from the deficiency of profitable employment for women, which is even greater in America than with us. It used to be understood that all women were maintained by the men of their families, but the young men of New England are apt to troop off to the West, to settle in new lands, leaving sisters at home. Some few return to fetch a wife, but the greater number do not, and thus a vast over-proportion of young women remains, and to a multitude of these the opening of factories was a most welcome event, affording the means of honorable maintenance in exchange for pining poverty at home. As for the noble deeds, it makes one's heart glow to stand in these mills and hear of the domestic history of some who are working before one's eyes, unconscious of being observed or of being the object of any admiration. If one of the sons of a New England farmer shows a love for books and thought, the ambition of an affectionate sister is roused, and she thinks of the glory and honor to the whole family, and the blessings to him, if he could have a college education. She ponders this till she tells her parents, some day, of her wish to go to Lowell, and earn the means of sending her brother to college. The desire is yet more urgent if the brother has a pious mind, and a wish to enter the ministry. Many a clergyman in America has been prepared for his function by the devoted industry of sisters, and many a scholar and professional man dates his elevation in social rank and usefulness from his sisters, or even some affectionate aunts, entrance upon mill life, for his sake. Many girls, perceiving anxiety in their father's faces, on account of the farm being encumbered, and age coming on without release from debt, have gone to Lowell and worked till the mortgage was paid off, and the little family property free. Such motives may well lighten and sweeten labor, and to such girls labor is light and sweet. Some, who have no such calls, unite the surplus of their earnings to build dwellings for their own residence, six, eight, or twelve living together with the widowed mother or elderly aunt of one of them to keep house for, and give countenance to the party. I saw a whole street of houses so built and owned at Waltham, pretty frame-houses, with the broad piazza and the great Venetian blinds that give such an air of coolness and pleasantness to American village and country abodes. 
There is the large airy eating room, with a few prints hung up, the piano at one end, and the united libraries of the girls forming a good-looking array of books, the rocking chairs universal in America, the stove adorned in summer with flowers, and the long dining table in the middle. The chambers do not answer to our English ideas of comfort. There is a strange absence of the wish for privacy, and more girls are accommodated in one room than we should see any reason for in such comfortable and pretty houses. In the mills the girls have quite the appearance of ladies. They sally forth in the morning with their umbrellas in threatening weather, their calashes to keep their hair neat, gowns of print or gingham with a perfect fit, worked collars or pelerines, and waistbands of ribbon. For Sundays and social evenings they have their silk gowns and neat gloves and shoes. Yet through proper economy, the economy of educated and thoughtful people, they are able to lay by for such purposes as I have mentioned above. The deposits in the Lowell Savings Bank were, in 1834, upwards of $114,000, the number of operatives being 5,000, of whom 3,800 were women and girls. I thank you for calling my attention back to this subject. It is one I have pleasure in recurring to. There is nothing in America which necessitates the prosperity of manufactures as of agriculture, and there is nothing of good in their factory system that may not be emulated elsewhere, equaled elsewhere, when the people employed are so educated as to have the command of themselves and of their lot in life, which is always and everywhere controlled by mind far more than by outward circumstances. I am very truly yours, H. Martineau. End of Introduction <laughs>